I went from winning in one night to literally being like world news the next day, and that really freaked me out. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So, welcome, Nicole, to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's Friday. We're recording on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. So looking at the weekend coming up. Yeah, I know. I actually can't wait for this weekend. Um, this is the first weekend that I've not done something in a while. So I'm going to really enjoy doing nothing. <laughs> you can totally introvert. You can binge TV shows. You could read a book. You could do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so many options. So many things that I could do. <laughs> so. Yeah. The first guest, the first question that I like to ask every single guest, and I'll say it because I like to think that as disabled people, we all refer to our disability completely individually, mm-hmm. is how do you refer to your disability? Yeah, so I personally just love the word disability and as kind of the greater community that I'm referring to. Yeah. But for me, what my disability is, is I am um, an amputee. So Mm -hmm. I was born without my left hand, but a little more specifically than that, I'm what's called a congenital amputee. So Uh um, the difference in terminology there is congenital means from birth, but you also will see a lot of amputees walking around the world who are traumatic or acquired amputees. And those are, of course, amputees who, for one reason or another, have lost a limb um, due to some sort of accident or injury. Or illness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, congenital amputee is what I like to call my disability. Yeah. And have you always used that like terminology or has that been something that you've developed like over time and as you've maybe got a bit older? It's definitely as I've gotten older and um, met people in my mm-hmm. community and learned the language of our community, that's mm-hmm. the terminology I've taken on. Just growing up, I would call it like, oh, my my nub or my little arm, or there were kind of nicknames for it um, that weren't as kind of like streamlined language-wise until I like plugged into community and understood what the greater community was calling their body. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were born with your disability, much like me, that experience from going from being a disabled child to being a disabled adult, I find such an interesting transition. And I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about your own journey with that. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a really, really small town, right? So I was in a bubble And I was in a bubble that was also set in a time period that was the 90s. So before the internet existed, which means that my parents, their um, access to education and their access to resources was really limited. Mm -hmm. So I never saw people like me. I was very special in my hometown because I was the only one who who's had a body variation like mine. Yeah. So growing up, the attitude was, yes, I knew I was special, but also the attitude that was taught and taken on was Nikki, you're no different. And that messaging was really pounded hard into me. Like you're no different. You're no different. You're no different. Mm -hmm. And yet the older I got, 
the more I was knocking into all of these experiences that was causing a ton of cognitive dissonance because I was yeah. being told I was no different. And yet, you know, I would encounter a random person on the street wanting to like pray over my body or something, you know, like things yeah. that are not, not okay. the same as everyone else. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm thankful for that time and the growing up in the bubble, because I feel like that really allowed me to experiment in a safe space. So mm-hmm. I got to try a ton of activities. I was in every school activity you could imagine and felt safe and confident enough to do that because my little bubble was very little. So I knew everyone participating, which means they knew me and I kind of got to blend and be a part of it in that way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But things started to shift later on and I'm sure we'll get to that. So, (laughs) yeah. So I, I think it's so interesting, particularly as being disabled children, because I think there is such a difference between being a disabled child and then transitioning into being a disabled adult. Because I think when you are a disabled child, I think everybody around you wants the best for you, no matter what. And and what you said about, you know, being told that you're no different, you're no different and you're no different is it rings true for, I'm sure, for so many people who have had the same experience. And you almost, you almost get like a different level of attention because everybody wants to make sure you're safe, secure, and that you're like, you're happy in what you're doing. But then you transition into adulthood and that same attention kind of disappears. And the attention, if you do get like more attention, it's more like intrusive in terms of it's staring or it's people looking and they want to know why and how. And and because you're not like this cute little child anymore, it feels very, very different. And I think what you said about having some cognitive dissonance is, is it rings so true because the experiences that you have and what you're told are two very, very different things. And I love that that's where we are now at this conversation because it, it rings so true. And yeah. the words are exact because that's exactly what it's like. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to your point, everyone around me, you know, my parents are the people who love me most in the world. Like they were just doing what they thought truly was best for me Yeah. without having any understanding whatsoever at all about what it was like to live in my body. Right. Like, sure. There were instances where, you know, someone would say something to me, ask me questions about my body and they would be around, but they didn't have to live in my body all of the time. So it's like they, they didn't understand even how to have the conversation with me. They didn't understand the language. They didn't even understand how to train me how to talk about those things when they happen in real time, because they had no idea either. Um, So, I mean, that's that type of conversation is now for me, like I feel a huge responsibility to the next generation of kiddos to make sure that they understand and and the adults around them understand what that conversation should look like and what the reality of those differences actually are as you're growing up. So that way we can actually explain it to the kids. Like you're right. It's not normal. That person just paused and wanted to pray over your body. That's actually, you know, let's talk about that. That's a common microaggression that happens (laughs) to all of us. Um, So hopefully we can get that that education and that support going for both the young kiddos and the parents that support them. Yeah. And I think like going back to what you said earlier about how, you know, you were born 
and you were growing up in the 90s and your parents didn't have access to that education, like social media has played such a massive part in education for so many people, particularly parents, particularly parents of disabled people. Because like I know countless parents follow my account and like at one point I was like why are you following me like what am I going to bring into your life and then I was like oh like your child has the same disability as me like oh like no they're going to be so fine like it's all okay (laughs) but like you didn't know that before you come across me (laughs) that's right yeah and it's and they are like I think it's a really interesting time because you're exactly right like social media is connecting a lot of people, but we also haven't had the chance to really build a lot of resources to serve the people who are finding us either. And there's also a shift in like, whose voice are you listening to? Like, are you listening to other parents and how they're telling you to take care of your disabled child? Or are you tuning in to those who live with a disability and actually have had that lived experience? Or, you know, there's lots of lots of silos that you can tune into. And I think that that is, I think we're getting better and better and better about like what that messaging should be and how to kind of curate it and synthesize it. But it's still hard. It's still really hard. (laughs) For sure. And what I really like about having these conversations is that sometimes disability plays into the career path that you take and sometimes it doesn't. And I was wondering for you, how did your journey to what you do now, how did that begin and how did your disability like present itself in these situations? You mean as far as like what I do as my job every day? Yeah. Like how did you go on the path that you're on now? Like where did that begin and how did that journey and what did it look like? And alive. Uh, So like currently, (laughs) it's just so like when I explain my adult life to people, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, well, you you have to live in my body to understand, yeah. I guess. Um, so I currently, my current position is I work in operations for actually a prosthetic manufacturing company. So yeah. I, every single day, am thinking about, talking about, and serving the amputee community. It is, yeah. it, um, it is my every day, right? Yeah. But that wasn't how it started for me at all, at all, at all. Um, yeah. Like if you would have told my college going 20 year old self that this would be where I'm at 10 years later, like I wouldn't have believed that I'd be like working for a prosthetic company. Um, But kind of in a, a nutshell, what happened in my experience specifically is that um, I was always a theater kid growing up. I loved being on stage. I think a piece of that looking back is that it was a way for me and my different body to control the stairs that I was inherently receiving anyway. Um, Which makes sense because it feels like you can direct where the staring is going. That's right. Or, and I can impress you with the performance that I'm giving you. Right. So I control over your thoughts around me in a positive way versus maybe a way that's pity or I feel sorry for you or, you know, whatever. Yeah, completely. Right. Um, So, I mean, looking back, I think that's a big piece of the theater puzzle for me in particular. But I went away to school and I actually got my degree in directing and theater management. Mm -hmm. So it was my dream to go live in New York and to work on Broadway shows. And so right out of college, I moved to New York City and I started working backstage a Broadway show Mm -hmm. and um, was on a career path to do like management work within that space, within the theater space. However, uh, what 
became too hard for me to ignore was the fact that I wanted to be on stage, right? Like I still wanted to be in the middle of it, literally. Yeah. But I I literally did not think that that was an option because I had never once seen a body like mine on a stage that literally never once. So I ended up finding a loophole and that loophole was pageantry. So Uh in the pageant world, your, your literal job is to interview and try out being yourself. Like all you have to do is show (laughs) up as yourself. And I was like, that's great. I can do that. And also you won't just sing a song even better. (laughs) Um, So I ended up uh, going the pageantry route and ended up um, competing and winning the title of Miss Iowa, which is the state here and the states that I grew up in. And that's a year long job. So I went to compete at Miss America. And um, that journey was wild for me because what happened was when I won and actually went to Miss America, there was so much focus um, from the world on the fact that my different body was showing up in a space that's very much a box. Like when you think of these pageants, it's very much a, a box of a person that is going yeah. to those, those spaces. And it freaked me out. I, nobody had taught me, um, the history of disability. Nobody had taught me, you know, why it was a big deal that a body like mine was showing yeah. up on that stage. Like, no, I had not had any of the foundational education in my community. So instead the experience for me was really, really traumatic. I, I just sank into myself and sank into anxiety and sank into depression and didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Um, so coming out of that, it was like, what I realized was cool. It's really cool to be a part of the disability community. Where are my mentors? Where are the books I can read? Where, where's the correct messaging on what my body is and how the yeah. world reacts to it? And really was able to feel empowered in that way. But at the same time, that literal experience of going on that journey and going to Miss America and experiencing that set my life on a completely different trajectory. So immediately afterwards, I, after that year of work, I continued on just speaking full-time. I spoke full-time for like three years um, and then kind of continued on into different disability spaces and have landed here in a prosthetic world, which has been a really good fit for me. But um, it all was from that like trauma of trying to figure out what the hell the world was doing and talking about me and what is happening. Why didn't anybody teach me these things? So I hope that made some sort of sense. I tried to keep it short. (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. And I would love if if you're okay to talk about bit more about the whole Miss Iowa, Miss America journey, because I think what you, what you said is that when you said you didn't feel like you were equipped with the knowledge and, but also you didn't understand why the world was taking such an interest in you. How was that? Like, how was that experience? Because I can only in my head, obviously, like I'm obviously from the UK pageants here are not as big as they are in America. Like that type of life doesn't, you don't really hear about it. You don't really see about it. And I was wondering, <laughs> like, but from my like very limited knowledge of that world, it very much seems to be like a type of person that fits into it. It tends to be like skinny, like 
probably blonde, probably white, which is what we both are. So I'm doing a really good job of explaining right now. But generally like a very beautiful person then goes on to make themselves even more beautiful for show. And in my head, that's that's what it is, right? And And it's true. I've never seen another body that looks like mine on that stage. So for you, what was that it, like? What was that experience like? It was crazy. Um, yeah, wild. It was really hard because up until this point, the messaging to me was you are no different. So the yeah. fact that I went from winning this title and here's the thing is I, because I'd grown up in my body. I realized that there would be conversation around my body. I realized that, that it was going to be a piece of it because it's always going to be a piece of whatever I'm doing. Yeah. But the extent to what it became, I had no understanding of. So, um, I went from winning in one night to literally being like world news the next day. And that really freaked me out because yeah, first of all, I, didn't understand the way that news outlets talked about us. So that was one layer. Like every single story that was printed all around the world was how inspiring is it that this <laughs> girl with a different body is going to Miss America, right? Very, it's the, the us versus them messaging where, yeah. you know, it's that pity piece of it. I competed right alongside all of these other girls and feel like I won fair and square, right? you know, yeah. I'd like to believe that. And yeah. yet the focus is how inspiring it is and how well I, done you for living your life well Good done for, exactly exactly and so that was very confusing to me like I've yeah. since come to learn that 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 type of messaging within the news media is you know called inspiration porn you know where it's such a great <laughs> and awful term all at once isn't it like because it does exactly what it says on it the tin. It's so harrowing. It, exactly. <laughs> it is. So I've since learned that, but like that was a confusing layer. Like I didn't, nobody was there to come alongside me and be like, this is a thing that people do to us. Yeah. And here's what it means. Um, and yeah, so in reality, like looking back on it, what that experience should have been um was instead of those inspiring messages being written about me, the news should have been writing, why is it that it's taken these pageant competitions until the 21st century to get a body with this variation on the stage? Like, what are the barriers that are clearly in place because we don't see other people like this on the stage? Mm -hmm. Um, And also there was nobody there to explain to me that like you, like me, my inherently me just stepping on that stage was a big deal. Like it was, but so I felt that pressure, but in a way that nobody was there to like educate me or teach me about. So I felt really, really, really singled out. I felt, um, by the, by the Miss America organization really, really, um, used. I was a marketing tool for them. Uh, just to advertise. And that really sucked. Um, And just all around felt really treated differently than everyone else and just didn't know how to make sense of it and didn't know, didn't have a a community surrounding me because what I had been told was I'm no different. 
instead of leaning into, no, I'm different and that's okay. But like, here are the realities of that. Like, I'm, you know, I hope that kind of made sense. (laughs) And it it does, because I think like you, like you said before, like you didn't necessarily have like the community of people that were going to be the people that would help explain things to you that actually like average Joe blogs or the non-disabled community don't understand because there are differences, right? There are differences. And this is not to single out like any minority group, but there are differences between being disabled and not being disabled. And there are some things that are unwritten and unsaid. And there are other things that are just so glaringly obvious that they smack you in the face. But if you don't know what you don't know, how are you going to know? Yeah. And, and to like, to go through that almost like all by yourself and to have like, you know, really mixed emotions. Like on the one hand, it's incredible that you are on this world stage and you are doing something that is, you know, benefiting so many people. However, on the other hand, you're, you feel like you're being singled out and you can't necessarily understand why. Like, like no wonder it was such a, like, like, you know, you, you said yourself, it was traumatic. Like no wonder because there is so much cognitive dissonance between you can do what you want to do. And then it's like, oh, like, well done. And you're like, what? Like, I'm just living my life. Why is that interesting to you? Why? And why does it have to be this messaging? But yeah, like that co- cognitive dissonance is like, I feel like the thesis for the lives we live. <laughs> is it's just like messaging has been over here and reality that we're bumping into is over here. And it just like never makes sense. Like it always is, wait a second, that feels, that felt wrong. That felt not yeah. normal. But what but what actually was that? Like what mm-hmm. just happened? And there's been nobody to come alongside us and explain that to us. So, yeah. you know, I feel like, like in my adulthood, that is what I feel the really serious sense of responsibility. And is like trying mm-hmm. to like teach the language of what that is to everybody, literally everybody. To I just everyone. like, let's yell into the void <laughs> to everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And you said, you know, for you, it was like dialing in and finding that community. What did that experience look like for you? Yeah. Um, I think I had a really unusual launching point into that because, because of the Miss Iowa, Miss America experience, like, I mean, it was such an inciting incident. That's why I still talk about it so much is because my life just shifted so drastically with the experience but with that experience you know it's a year-long job that you're given so that means that for a year I was invited to go to every single camp and gathering of limb different kiddos here in the states and I went to them all all of them um and that was amazing it was amazing because there I was seeing in real time, not only the kiddos who I just love kids in general. So yeah. add on to the fact that like they're the little one-handed kiddos or little, you know, yeah. like amputee kiddos. And that makes me really excited. Um, but also the parents, but also the peers, like getting to meet people like me in real time too, or people who are older than me, who could be mentors to me. Like it really was kind of a slingshot into whether I liked it or not, whether I was feeling it or not that day. Like it was literally my job to go to those things. And I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful and can now see how weirdly lucky I was to like have that full on experience 
that in that year where it just was like, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to meet all the people ready, go, go meet them all. <laughs> you're literally diving in at the deep end and being like, yeah. swim. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> um, yeah. And those are people who are, you know, so many of those people continue to be like family to this day, so many years later. So it's a, uh, that was that the community is, was the saving grace um, and all of it. It really was just as we're talking and reflecting, like when you hear your experience and somebody else's story, it's so, um, what's the right word? Validating because it's like, yeah. oh, oh, other people experience this. Like, oh, there's it's almost language like for therapy. This. Yes, it is. Yes. I would agree. So, yeah, because I think quite often, and and like we've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it because I think it needs to be repeated is that you are told, or you can be told so often that you can do whatever you want to do and that you're no different. However, there is, you know, the outside world does say something completely different. And, and like, like that's okay, but we need to somehow marry the ideas of, social expectations and social norms and things that we say to disabled people so that actually this idea that yes you can do whatever you want to do just bear in mind it will look different to average joe blogs but that's absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with that but you don't get told that you don't get told that and also nobody talks to us about the fact that socially structures have been built to keep us out yeah. So like, yes, maybe we can adapt and do it. But like, for example, even me secretly wanting to act and be on stage, the theater community has been built here in the States to keep me out. If I walked into an audition room anywhere here, I would be laughed out of the room. I can't audition yeah. for those parts. Those parts are for two-handed people. That's not my fault. I can literally do it. But also that is barriers that have been put in place. And so so nobody talks about that with us. Like there are literal structures put in place that are keeping us out. Like we have to break those. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's tiring, but actually when, when you have these conversations and you're able to like pinpoint where the barriers are and explain as to why it's a barrier yeah. and you kind of see someone else's like head turn or they can understand your point you're like oh I did a good thing like I'm a clever (laughs) (laughs) I did my good deed for the day (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah totally (laughs) so I like to ask everybody and I really I I keep repeating this I've really got to sort it out but I like to ask everybody do they have a piece of advice for a younger version of themselves but also for a younger person with the same disability as them. And quite often these can be like two separate pieces of advice because mm. mine, mine is definitely two separate pieces of advice. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's see. Okay, I'm going to take them one at a time. So it'll be a surprise whether they're the same or different because I don't know. Um, I think for myself, uh, I think for myself, I really, really wish that someone had taught me body autonomy. Like Uh my parents were really, really good to not make my disability shameful. 
Yeah. You know, if anybody asks a question, you answer it and you answer it because what is there to be ashamed of? You were born differently and it is what it is. However, there are days where my body is my own and I don't need to answer people's questions who just want to ask me questions. So I, I really wish that empowerment of my own autonomy and my body being my own would have been taught alongside and also it's not shameful. Like you also can talk about it too, but like, if you don't want to talk about it, you also don't have to. Yeah. Um, And I would also tell that to the younger generations. (laughs) Um, uh, But I also think for the younger generations, I would really also want them to know, like to teach them the language, like, you know, like nobody taught me words like microaggression or what is disability history or what is like just pride and plugging into our community, I feel like has done so much for just me being okay with who I am and me just having peace with what my body is in this world, in the context of where we're at right now and how people react to me. So just like trying to like get that information to them feels really really important to me yeah and I I would agree about you know younger generations because I think for those of us who didn't necessarily grow up immediately on social media like social media is like let's be real it's only really become a massive thing in the last maybe 10 years I mean I think about 2012 oh my god I can't believe that was 10 years ago right social media wasn't actually that big then and and the ideas and the community that you can build on social media and and like plug into that community and understand yeah. you know a bit more about the community if you don't necessarily know loads like don't don't feel like you failed because you don't know because yeah. you don't know what you don't know until somebody either shows you or points you in the right direction and right. that's the whole idea of community right is to help someone yes. else out yes fully agreed And so like having that ability to be like, guys, like if you feel a bit like lost, like it's totally fine, like check this out or listen to this talk or read this book, you know, there are so many, what's the word I'm looking for? There are so many pieces of information out there that you can delve into and so many pieces about history and, you know, about your own community that you can find and you can develop your own sense of identity through that, which is like, I didn't have that when I was like 12. (laughs) Right. I I I mean, I want to ask you all of the questions that you asked me to like hear (laughs) how similar but different it was to my experience, you know, like, sure. Did what, what, what felt the same and what felt different about what I shared about my growing up. So I think like I had quite a similar experience that I was, I didn't live in like a small town necessarily, but like I was told the exact same, like you can do whatever you want to do. Like that you're not, you're no different, all of this kind of stuff. And like, I knew, I always knew I was disabled for me. It wasn't like, Oh, am I disabled? Am I not disabled? Like I always knew I was disabled and I was very, very happy in that. And I've never had any issues surrounding being disabled. I think Mm. what really through me was that as you get older like and I and I had this conversation with Jem Turner who was on this podcast who's a really good friend of mine and and what she said and and as soon as she said it I was like oh my god like I hadn't even thought 
of that, but now you've said it, it makes so much sense, is that when you are a disabled child, you get loads of attention and it's all positive attention, right? There's not really all that much negative attention, positive attention from like teachers, whether it's medical professionals or like whoever they want to help you. They want you to have like the best, most fulfilling childhood, because at some point they believe that because you're disabled, there's going to be something missing from your childhood, which is just the biggest load of shit I've ever heard in my entire life different conversation for a different day (laughs) but when you transition into adulthood that that attention changes and I hadn't really thought about that actually until I was like oh that's so true because the attention does change no longer are you this like marvelous creature and creation it's a bit like oh like you're different like why why are you different and and I also didn't necessarily realize that being disabled and being confident don't come hand in hand. For mm. me, learning that there are some people who are who are inherently very uncomfortable with being disabled broke my mm. heart. And that's why I love having these conversations. And that's why I wanted to create this podcast because I wanted to create a space where you could be like, do you know what? I actually love being disabled. Like I love being disabled. And it's like the best thing in the world. But sometimes you can have a really you know, you don't have to have an incredible relationship with your disability. Sometimes it can be very difficult. There are challenges, there are problems, there are things that you have to adapt and overcome, but at its base, like I love being disabled. And the fact that I wanted to say that, and I couldn't necessarily find a space where I could say that. And people were like, Oh, like, thank you for saying it. Or people weren't shocked. Mm. Really blew my brain a bit. I was like, I'm really happy to be me. Like, I don't want two hands. Like I don't want to wake up tomorrow and suddenly find my hand there. Like I would, I would chop it off. Right. People are like, oh, that's really extreme. And I was like, yeah, it is really extreme because that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I am okay with my body. Like, and yeah. that is like, I'm good. I'm good yeah, in my like, body. I'm so fine. Like I don't want to clap my hands like you. And that's so fine. Like, accept yes. it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I hear all of that and that all resonates with me for sure. Um, and also like just wanting to, the, the resin, the, the idea of also just like wanting to share with the masses. Like I have yeah. something that I want to say and I want you to know about it. Like it, it feels very pressing and very important to be able to share it. And to yeah. be able to talk with people. And so I'm so glad you're doing this. Thank you for being oh, a you. voice. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Like we need all of us being the voices in, you know, sharing our stories and talking about the good things, talking about the bad things, just like talking about what it is to have the variations yeah. that we have. What do you, what do you refer to your arm as? So I, I don't. So this is the thing, like when I was thinking of writing all of these questions, I was like, I need to kind of like find a way how people refer to their disability. Because I do think it's very individual. There is no two people that have the same disability that will refer to their disability in the same way. But I was always like, oh, I just don't have a hand. And I was like, and I used to be like, oh, I'm for a bit. I was like, oh, I'm missing my hand. And then I was like, but it's not really missing because I'm not going to find it down the back of a sofa. So it just doesn't exist. And like people were like, what do you mean? It doesn't exist. I was like, well, what do you mean? What do I mean? It doesn't exist. Like, it's not coming back. It never went. It just never happened. Is it here? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's like, I'm always just like, oh, I don't have a hand. And people are like, you I don't like have that. a what? And I'm like, I, yeah. I don't have a hand. Like, 
Are you okay with that? Because if you're not, it's not my problem. It's yours. <laughs> it's your problem. Exactly that too. Yeah, I think I think a piece of the like amputee puzzle in my world came about because I like shared with you that was like very much yeah. adulthood for me. I think a piece of it was I at first I really really like hyper focused in on specifically those who had bodies exactly like mine, right? Like hand differences. And that has, that sense of like siloing has expanded into like legs, arms, fingers, like what are you missing? And so there have been a lot of functions and conversations that have happened where it's like, well, I can't say like your hand isn't there or whatever. Like it needs to be like a broader term than that. And I'm pretty sure that's where that like identification of like amputee more Mm -hmm. strongly came on for me. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking about this out loud in real time with you now. (laughs) Sometimes it's the best way to process stuff, isn't it? Like real time out loud. Like, oh, I just got to get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. Do you ever call your arm like a nub or No, never, never. Like I've never, like I've never ever said that gone down that route. Like it was always just I don't have a hand. I just like, don't have a hand. Like it just, it like just it. isn't there. Like, and I never yeah. felt like I had to explain it any more than that because for, for me, that's like the end of the conversation, right? That was the end of it. Like if you wanted to know more and we're friends, that's fine. If you wanted to know more and we're not friends, I don't need to talk to you about it. Like, that's your my friendship circle, like it's, you're like asking for greedy information that I'm not willing to give out. <laughs> like, yes. Yes to that. I wish, I wish I had, I had realized and been taught that growing up because that's what I didn't have. And I felt like it was my job to indulge people as much as they were asking to be indulged. And that is unfair. That's really unfair. But that also ties in really nicely with my like next question. And that is, I know as disabled people, we can get asked really bizarre and weird intrusive questions. And I was wondering, is there like a set of questions that people ask you and you're either like, are oh, not again, or you're just like, no, stop. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All the time. Well, I think, I mean, yes, I feel like, so a lot of times, you know, I'll have weird encounters where it will be people, you know, I live in the city of Chicago now, so it's a big city. Uh-huh. I'm bumping up against a lot of people all of the time, no matter where I go. So strangers will very often try to give me money. That's not unusual. Yeah. They'll like, feel sorry for me and want me to have money. I would take it. I'd be like, oh, cheers. Thanks for coffee. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, that one, that one still catches me off guard. It usually happens yeah. about, it's probably happens once every other year to me. Yeah. Uh, so often enough that it's happened multiple times, but it still mm-hmm. always catches me off guard. Um, people who want to like pray over me or talk to me in a really super religious context about my body, which that one used to really super trigger me. But now I, now I understand fully what that microaggression is and that that is purely and fully not my problem. That is them yeah. making religion something it absolutely is not, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, so definitely that one, um, people, little kids very often will be like, no, but where is it? 
And like, they really like can't comprehend that it never was there, just like you were saying. So lots of times in those situations, I'll be like, I don't know, let's go on a treasure hunt to find it. And we'll just like, you know, end up playing tag or whatever, like looking for my hand that we'll never find. Yeah. It's never coming back. Sorry, babe. It's never, sorry, sorry. Um, Man, what else? And then, well, and interestingly, you know, if I'm wandering around and have my prosthetic hand on, the world interacts with me in a completely different way, 180 degrees different. Yeah. So it's like, if I get on the public transit train here in Chicago without my arm on, Mm -hmm. I get, you know, people will do the double take as they do to our bodies. And then, you know, immediately look away, like, don't talk about it. Like it's, you know, like maybe they'll give me a little look of pity, like that poor girl who has one hand or, or if not, it's like a hush hush. We don't talk about this on the train. Right. But if I walk onto that same train with my prosthetic on, I still get the double look, but instead people want to engage with me. It's like an invitation for people to come up and pity is almost taken out of the context. And then it's replaced with this weird like technology is cool you are a robot context where people feel like they're able to ask questions and approach me when they maybe normally wouldn't otherwise so it's it's very strange but it's people totally different totally different experiences that's so interesting. So I haven't worn a prosthetic. I can't even say the word. I haven't worn right. a prosthetic for. I think I was maybe five when I stopped wearing them. So that's yep. like, like the vast majority of my life, I've not worn one. And it's so interesting because for me, like I don't think I'll ever go back to wearing one. Like I can't see a point in my life where I would. Yep. And I think it's so interesting that people are always so fascinated by like the technology of it. And I'm like, well, what else are you gonna use? Like, I'm not going to strap a plank of wood to my arm and be like, oh, it's my hand. There it is. Look at <laughs> like, that. It's not how, it's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I know it's really, it, what always shocks me is like the difference of invitation and a conversation. Yeah. It's like, it's this weird opening that they, people take and want to ask you questions about. And so... I don't know. It is, it's a really weird bodily thing again, where the body autonomy has to exist too, where it it can be a day where cool, I'm feeling good and I'll talk to you about it and I'll share with you what I do for a job. And then there are days where it's like, don't talk to me, please. I'm just riding (laughs) the train home today. Yeah. 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 Interesting because I always like to think that as like, human beings we find it very difficult to pull out a positive attribute about ourselves particularly through like any form of hardship and particularly through any form of you know like unwanted interaction if you can pull out like a positive attribute about yourself not necessarily the interaction but about yourself then it's Mm -hmm. almost kind of been worth it and I was wondering do you have a particular positive attribute about yourself that you're particularly proud of Mm -hmm. I like this question. I like your deep thinking. I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, I think, I think, see, okay, I'm going to answer, but I struggle with my answer. I was going to say, I usually, 
I'm old enough to realize that when people interact with me, that I might be the very first person like me that they've ever seen. Therefore, I am that interaction in representing all of us. Right. And that's a really unfair thing. Like that's not a hat we should have to wear. That's not a responsibility we should have to take. Like I should be able to tell the person to F off and that's a fine interaction to have. Right. But I do feel a sense of responsibility to just like the greater us to leave the interaction feeling like the person did learn something like I, 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 so maybe the positive attribute is I'm comfortable enough to communicate that like, I'm okay. And I am confident and I am proud of who I am. And at least get that very quick messaging across. So in theory, if they're coming across other variations of bodies, like it won't be something that is scary because the interaction they had with me wasn't. Um, so again, yeah. I struggle with that because really that's not a hat we're choosing to wear ever. And yeah. that feels unfair to put that pressure on ourselves, but I usually don't mind. I usually am okay to just quickly chat about it and okay, thanks. This is my stop. I'm getting off the train here or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I do think it's very difficult to pull out something positive about yourself. Like regardless of who you are, you could be like the most positive person in the world. But if you actually turn around and say like, right, tell me like five positive things about yourself. People still get stuck because we don't necessarily appreciate the positives that we have or we don't necessarily recognize them. And I always think it's good for disabled people to recognize their positive attributes because so often, particularly shown in the media we are not shown in the best of light or as you said the light that we get shown in is this heavy inspiration it's either you know big inspiration oh my god like look what they can do or it's this oh my goodness how horrific this man fell down the stairs and, and lost his legs that is horrific but you know disability and tragedy aren't you know they don't go hand in hand they're not codependent they're not interdependent and we need to kind of break that Yeah, we are just like, let's talk about instead the realities of the barriers that we are facing or let's, yeah, let's change what that narrative is. It doesn't have to be a pity narrative. It doesn't have to be a superhero narrative. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm overcoming my disability. No, I am living in my disabled body every day doing regular things and yes, certainly it's a part of every interaction that I have, but that doesn't mean that it is my only attribute. It's the only piece of the puzzle about me. Yeah. Yeah, So it's, it's really bothersome to be boiled down to that one literal attribute. Um, and just having your body be always just such a talking point, like (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. I only have one final question for you. And this is like a super easy question and everybody tends to answer the exact same. So I already know what your answer is going to be, but I'll ask it anyway. And that is, Nicole, can you say that you are disabled and proud? Brooke, I would love to. Hi, (laughs) Nicole Kelly. I'm so disabled and so proud. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love it. This is so lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so cool to meet you. Meet, oh, no, meet you. Thank, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I genuinely appreciate anybody who goes up their time for the podcast because we all live really busy lives and I really like having conversations with people. And this is a lovely way to get a message out there, have a conversation and meet new people. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really I enjoyed this conversation. That. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's so cool really to just be able to like, just like you said, be able to just have conversation and, and meet people. And thank you for kind of sharing and return a little bit about your story with me. Like it's cool. And yeah, I look forward to continuing to get yeah. to know you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait, but thank you so much for coming on today. I can't wait for this episode to air and like I hope everyone's had like enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed talking about it so thank you so much of course yes and I look forward to keeping in touch yeah bye thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then I'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast